right, well, this is our last week in this teaching series called The Fox. I'm kind of going to miss the series. Are you guys going to miss the series? I am, but God's going to do some other things, new things, fresh things. Uh, we're starting a new teaching series called uh, Exodus, and we're going to we have some cool things to announce to you guys, so be sure you're here, and everybody that you know that may not be here this morning, make sure that they're here t- uh, next week. All right. So Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard while our vineyards are in bloom, while our vineyards are blossoming, while our vineyards are increasing, while our vineyards are flourishing. Uh, Of course, we've talked about how the vineyard is symbolic right here in the scripture. The, The vineyard is symbolic of our love for Christ and our life in Christ. Another way that we've said it is the vineyard is symbolic of the fullness in Christ that we are meant to have. Amen? You guys remember that we've talked about that? And there's a fox who comes and tries to rob that life, that full life, that content life, that abundant life from us. And I thought about this week, if we could wrap our brains around how much God loves us and around His desire to see us prosper, to flourish spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, even financially, I believe, although that's not the point this morning. I think that God wants to do amazing things and bring amazing increase in our lives. But I also thought about how we need to realize the intensity in which Satan, the fox, comes to the saints to rob us of the life that God wants us to have in Christ Jesus. The fullness of of Christ, I think our lives uh, would be shaping up different. Our lives would probably be drastically different if we can recognize God's great love for us and how much the enemy hates God's great love for us. Our lives would look a lot different. One of the verses that we've quoted every week is John 10.10. 10, the thief, the fox, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. His only motive, his only aim is to steal, kill, and destroy the saints But Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Life that is flourishing, life that is abundant, like we're talking about in uh, in, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. A life that is blossoming in Christ. And we've looked at, I don't know, like a dozen foxes, uh, sins, over the last several weeks. And we're going to end the series with one more fox, with one more sin. And uh, it's the one that... I've heard before called the source of all sin. So go ahead and turn to Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at the source of all sins. And remember, we've looked, if you're visiting with us, we've been looking at different lists of foxes or lists of sins. Uh, Paul wrote a little list in Galatians chapter 5. We started with that one. Several different things that the fox can use to come and rob from our vineyards. Colossians chapter 3, we looked at a very similar list, but there were some new ones. And then we're closing with this list here in Mark 7. This is a list that Jesus himself gives. And if you notice, it's very similar to the the two lists that Paul gives, but there's a few things that stand out a little differently. Uh, Mark 7, starting in verse 20, uh, 20 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, 
pride and foolishness. And this morning, we're going to talk about pride. Pride has been called the source of all sins. We're going to talk about pride. Now, in, in the language that, that Jesus is speaking, there's several words for pride. There's the, the word that can be used that would be like if you're proud of something, the work that you've put into something. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my boys. I'm proud of um, whatever. Whatever it is that you've put your hands to and you've done a good job and God has blessed you and you're proud of that thing. That is not a sin to be proud of something. Okay? Another word that can be used is uh, of someone that's prideful. Like literally, they are an arrogant, boastful braggart. There's someone that just brags. All the time, okay? They're just so full of pride. That's another word that can be used, a whole different word. And this word right here, actually, that is a little different, a little set apart, and uh, kind of like he did last week with, um, with evil thoughts, and the week before with wickedness. He's using some very intentional language, and I think it would behoove us to look at, look at that word. It's a very specific word, and this word that he uses for pride literally means this. The character of one who, with a swollen estimate of his own powers or merits looks down on others and even treats them disrespectfully okay so there's all kinds there's a few different words that could be used here this is the specific one that jesus uses this is the greek word that he chose to use and what i want to do is look at it in three parts there's basically three parts there the character of one who with a swollen estimate of his own powers and merits who looks down on the others and even treats them with disrespect. I want to look at those three aspects of that definition and, uh, and, and challenge us, okay? We may not like this. Get your pen ready because there's some things that I think that you're going to want to write down and ponder on and meditate as we, uh, as we go out of here today. The first thing I want to look at is the character of one, okay? And you can write that down. The character of one. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Napoleon Hill, not Napoleon Dynamite or Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Hill was one of the earliest producers of what we would know as uh, personal success literature. In other words, he wrote how to be successful books and articles. In fact, he is one, considered one of the greatest writers on the topic of success. And um, Napoleon Hill says that character is to man as carbon is to steel. That character is to man as carbon is to steel. We know that steel is a pretty strong uh, and durable metal, but steel is really on, only as strong and durable as the amount of carbon that's mixed into it. So when you increase the carbon content, as the carbon content rises, that steel will become stronger, more durable, and then as it's placed into heat, high levels of heat become stronger. That's a teaching in and of itself, isn't it? As it's placed in the heat, it gets stronger. But as that happens, the finished product is a metal that can be used to do amazing things. Pride says, it was my ability that did that amazing thing. And there is truth to that, but what Hill is saying is that our abilities are never what makes us great. It's our ability combined with good character that will bring about the success of a thing. I don't know how many times I've um, done a, um, what do you call it, a reference 
for people. Job reference, maybe somebody's going to go off to a camp and do summer camps, you know, especially when I was a youth pastor, I was doing references for kids all the time. Uh, mission trips, organizations, different things that people can do that they need a reference for. I always get to do those. And I actually love doing it because it makes me be able to reflect on this person. And, you know, and so, but when you get those references and actually, when you get the actual call, there's usually a form that you fill out. And there's always this uh, section on character. There's a section on ability, but there's a section on character. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? There's always a, a section on character. And I always really ponder that. Okay, what is their character? You know, fill in some things, write some things that I know. But anyway, inevitably, you always get a call from the, the boss or whoever it is that's looking into this person, this applicant. And they want to talk about this person. Can you tell me about this person? And I used to start with the abilities. Well, this person's really talented. I mean, they can sing, they can dance, they can juggle, they can spit fire, you know, all the stuff that people can do. And they're always like, oh, okay, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Well, hey, listen, tell me about their character. Are they, and they go through this list of stuff. And I've learned, you know, that's not what, the, the abilities and stuff, that is important. But what the people considering this applicant for, they want to know about their character. And so character must be a huge thing. We've got to have character. The character of one who. Hopefully our upbringing has instilled in us uh, some character. That our lives have brought character, our upbringing. But listen to me really close. Even if our upbringing did not nurture into us good character qualities, God will use heat to refine us in order to bring about the character that will define us. Okay? Now, I want you to, I want you to write that down because this phrase is actually going to be laced into the next several weeks of teaching as we go through the book of Exodus. Okay? God will use heat, difficulty, trials, hardships to refine us so that He can bring about the character within us that will define us. In other words, the, the defining aspects of who we are, not abilities, but character. So, write that down. You guys can write it in. But listen, at the end of the day, God is less concerned with our abilities and what we can accomplish for Him than He is our character and how we're going to represent Him. If you're writing things down, you can write this down. The defining characteristic of a Christ follower is humility. It's like the first characteristic that we must grab The foundational characteristic of a Christ follower is humility. Peter, in his first letter that he wrote, chapter 5, verse 5, he says, A Christ follower is to clothe himself with humility towards others. That humility is like a garment that you can put on. Paul in Romans, chapter 13, said to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord himself is something that we put on and make no provision for the flesh. Put on humility. Make no provision for the flesh. And there's a prophet, the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament even said that God has clothed me, clothed us with garments of salvation. He has wrapped us with a robe of righteousness. And when you take those scriptures together and all that that can mean, it's essentially saying that the evidence of a flourishing vineyard is found in the character of humility in our lives. Like that's pretty bottom line, isn't it? The evidence of a flourishing vineyard, a vineyard that is alive and well, that is walking in the fullness of 
Christ, it's evidenced by the character of humility. In fact, I, gave, I, this is, I like this. I came up with it. It's going to sound cheesy, but I want you to write down this little formula, okay? Humility <laughs> plus ability equals viability. Isn't that good? The rhyming, the structure. But think about it. If you don't know what viability is, I chose this word very carefully because there can be two uses of this word viable. It can mean full of life and it can mean useful. So someone that has a humble heart and ability is someone that's full of life and that God can use. The character of one who. The next thing I want to look at is a swollen estimate of his own powers or merits. Okay? And then I'm going to use a word to kind of sum up that definition. It's the word superbia. It's Latin for pride. And it basically, that is the definition. Superbia. You can write that in. <laughs> What's well, his issue? He's got some serious superbia. Or she. Or they. Superbia. And it's similar to that word I was talking about about someone who's arrogant and is a braggart and boastful. But listen, it's not necessarily, um, it doesn't have to be the bragging part. In other words, someone can be prideful, but not be outwardly egotistical. Think about that for a second. Someone can be full of pride. Someone can have a swollen estimation of their own powers, merits, abilities, and yet not necessarily be outwardly boastful and egotistical. This type of prideful person that's being described here has, is, is a person who has a hard time, and this is about to hit us pretty hard. This is a person who has a hard time recognizing the grace of God in their lives. Because in the end, he or she still puts more stock in their ability than they do in the grace and favor of God. That's why pride is so sinful, especially this type of pride. I give myself the credit for something that God has accomplished. I take glory that belongs to God and keep some of it. Sometimes I keep all of it to myself. I mean, pride is essentially self-worship. You can write this down. Any and every accomplishment was made possible. If there's anything we ever accomplished... If there's anything good we ever did, it was made possible because of God's grace and because of God's favor. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. If I've succeeded in anything, and all of us could have a list of things, oh, I've done this, I've accomplished this, we got our degrees, we got our portfolios, we got our trophies, we got our stuff. Listen, if there's anything in your life that you accomplish, it's because God showed you favor. And in spite of your goofiness, my goofiness, he was gracious and said, I'll let, you, I'll let you have that one. That's God. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, for who regards you as superior? I mean, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, then why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, what you, what you got that God didn't give you? <laughs> And I wrote, I don't know if this is on the deal, but you, you might want to write this down because I thought about this. This is, this is the, the flow here when, when we're involved in things, when we're trying to accomplish things for God. This is the flow. The godly characteristic of humility in, in the things that we do, the tasks that we 
take on ourselves. The godly character of humility says before the task, before we put our hand to the work, I need you, God. I'm going, this is my responsibility. I have to get this done. I need you, God. During the, the task, humility says, don't leave me, God. Don't leave me, God. I still need you, God. Don't leave me. And then after the task, it's done. We can step back and we can look and there is success or, or whatever. We can look at it. We're proud, the good kind of what we did. Humility says, thank you, dear God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord God, because without you, this would not have been accomplished. I can repeat that. What accent would you like? (laughs) Before the task, I need you, God. No. Before the task, (laughs) before the task, we say, I need you, God. Humility says, I need you, God. During the task, while we're putting our hands to the plow, we're saying, Lord, please don't leave me. Don't leave me, Lord. And then after the task out of a sign of worship, respect, honor, appreciation, recognition of His grace and favor, we say, thank you, Lord God. Thank you, dear God. Without you, I could not have accomplished this. And of course, Jesus said that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's a mindset. That is a characteristic. It's a godly characteristic. Write this down. Anytime God is forgotten, humility is lost, and pride is let loose. When pride is on the loose... Life gets ugly. When pride is on the loose, it's destructive. It gets ugly. Life gets ugly. And and here is where it shows its ugly head. You ready? This is number three. Where it says, looks down on others and even treats them disrespectfully. And I tell you what, the Lord gave me a big lesson on that this week. A big thump in the ear. And the word that I want to use to describe that is superiority. You can write that down. Superiority. Looks down on others and even treats them disrespectfully. Now let's be honest, you guys. We're just, we're just going to come clean right here, right now. At the end of the day, this is what we're after. <laughs> to be esteemed by everybody around us. This is what we want. Write this down. I want you to write it down, write it down, write it down, write in your Bible. A lot of who we are and a lot of what we do flows not from a humble heart but from a prideful desire to be honored by men. It's an ugly truth but it is a, is a truth that we're plagued with. Much of who we are and do and strive for comes from a motivation to be esteemed and honored by other people. Hate that, but it's the truth. We want to be exalted above others. We want other people looking up at us. And that's not humility. What's that called? It's called pride. Over in 1 Peter, the next verse, chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. There's another scripture in James where he says essentially the same thing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You remember the old song we used to sing? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Remember that? We sang it with such robust. And he will lift you up. 
higher and higher. You know? We love that song. Something about that song. We just, oh, but like, whoa. Step back. Do you hear what the song's saying? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. A humble person is somebody that God can trust. A humble person can be trusted by God to represent him. Anywhere, any place, any time, any situation, any task. In fact, James also said that he's the one that gives a greater grace to the humble. You guys hear me? These are, these are the words of Jesus' brother. You got to know stuff. There's a greater grace, a greater ability, a greater favor, a greater grace upon he who is humble. But he goes on to say, but he opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe himself, we read this a second ago, that we are to clothe ourselves with humility towards others. And then he goes on to say, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And most of, our, most of us are familiar with Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, where it says, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, which basically means an arrogant and stuck-up attitude, Before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Some of your versions say before fall. We know the scripture as pride goeth before a fall, right? You guys remember that? Pride goes before a fall. Well, listen, the greatest example of being forgotten, humility being lost, and pride being let loose is Satan. I want you to turn to Isaiah 14. We'll start in verse 12. Isaiah 14, where we'll see the greatest example of of God being forgotten, humility being lost, pride being let loose. And this is is known, this section right here we're going to read, is known as uh, the five I wills. I've probably mentioned these before in other types of teachings or whatever, but these are the five I wills. These are the five things that was on Satan's mind before he got tossed out of heaven. These are the five things that he, that he was determined and motivated to be or to become or to do. You ready? How you have fallen, this is verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Okay? And we look at that and obviously this is not good. (laughs) Those are not good statements to make. But what I want to do is I want to look at these I wills and I want to give you a little breakdown of what he's basically saying here. He says, I will ascend into heaven. Look at your Bible. Mark this. Out to the side you can write, bad. I will ascend into heaven. Basically saying, heaven will be my home and my place of honor. It was already his home. But when he said this, this is going to be my place of honor. I will ascend. I will be promoted here. I am, I am going up. I'm going uptown. 
Then he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You have to understand in Scripture, the stars of God refer to the angels. Okay? So when he says, I will exalt my, my throne above the stars of God, he's saying, I will be enthroned and I will be exalted above all the other angels. I will be higher, more important, more lofty, more beautiful than all of the other angels. And then he says, I will also sit on the mount of the assembly. Some of your versions say the mount of the congregation. In other words, I will sit in the place of glory and honor and attention among all the people. So what was on his mind, on his heart. It was what was stirring in his soul. I will be the center of attention. Then he says, I will ascend above the heights. In other words, I will continue to rise even in heaven because he's already in the heights, right? He says, I will ascend above the heights until all see me in my bright, shiny, beautiful glory. And look at the last one. I will be like the most high God. In other words, I will be glorious and be set equal to God far above all other created beings. Now, listen to this carefully. Listen to what he's saying and listen to the, listen to the interpretation here. It's not, even, I mean, it's not even much of an interpretation. This is what he's saying. I will be glorious. I'm going to be the bomb. And I will be set equal to God far above All other created beings, I will be set equal with God. Notice that he didn't say, I will be greater than God. We've always read this, and we've always thought that his motivation was to be greater than God. Listen, as arrogant and goofy as Satan is, he ain't stupid. Right? He knows he ain't going to be greater than God. Write this down. We don't have to want to be exalted higher than God to be like Satan. We just have to want to be exalted higher than other people. I mean, how much of our time and energy is spent trying to prove our quality to everyone around us? How much of our bad attitudes and ugly words and ill treatment of others comes from a heart that wants to cut them down to lower places so that we can seem better than? And maybe that's deep. And maybe that's subconscious. But it's a reality. We think we can kind of get by on the technicality. Well, I, would, I know God's great. I could never be. I mean, God, you are above everything. And then me. And then everybody else. <laughs> Isn't that weird that that's true? Isn't it weird that we've always thought that Satan was trying to kick God off the throne? Again, he's not stupid. He just wanted to be above everybody else. He wanted to be equal with God. He knew he wasn't going to be greater than God. We know that we're not going to be greater than God, but we will sure press and push to be better than everybody else. And we will go to great extremes to do it. Or we'll be subtle. Amen? It's a sad truth. Like I said, the defining characteristic of a Christ follower is humility. You know, Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. 
See, that's, what, that's, that's the Christ thing. Not to exalt yourself above everybody else, but if anything, not to regard yourself as more important, but to seek others and, and lift them up and, and help them and rejoice when they rejoice, not be glad when they suffer. Anything less is pride, and we know where pride takes us. It takes us down. Now, when we started this series like 14 weeks ago, I quoted a guy named Vernon C. Grounds. He was an author, teacher, biblical scholar kind of a guy. And uh, you guys remember when I said that, uh, I quoted him, he said, a big fall, a big fall starts with a little tumble. A big fall starts with a, a little tumble. We've been in this teaching series, uh, the, we were in the teaching series called Be Found Faithful, ended up becoming a theme for this year that we be people that are, that are found faithful every day of our lives and certainly when the Lord comes back for a pure and spotless bride, that he will find us as people who are faithful. And to be that, we have to address the, the areas where we're just flopping around like dead fish. And what the enemy wants to bring is destruction. Pride goes before what? Destruction. A haughty spirit before a stumble or before a fall. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What he's trying to stir in you is this competitive spirit with other people. To, get, to make you on top, to exalt you in a higher place, to propagate pride. That sounds good. Propagate pride. To propagate pride within you and do what? End up just like he did. Fallen. Away from God. Evil. Gross. Despised. That's what he's after. That's a big fall. Now listen, most of us are a long way from that kind of a fall. But a big fall starts with a little tumble. These little pockets of pride. These little pockets of competition. These little pockets of character issues that center around us really wanting all the attention. Us being the great one. Us being the one that's high and lifted up and exalted. Remember what he said. He gives a greater grace, a greater favor, a greater ability, a greater anointing, whatever word you want to insert there, to the humble. But he opposes the proud. Peter said, clothe yourself with humility towards others. Like, put it on like a garment. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I want to end with this. This is, uh, you guys know who Dwight L. Moody is. He's an evangelist in the late 1800s. Smart guy. And he says, be humble, or you'll stumble. <laughs> Pretty simple. Be humble, or you'll stumble. And this is what we're wrapping this teaching series up with. Maybe it would have been great to start off with that. Hey, here's the mother of all sins. Here's the source of all sin. But I think it's a good reminder that most of the things, all of the things that we listed over the last 14 weeks really stem from pride. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, many of us have, all of us have lives that we're proud of. God's teaching us, you guys. We have the opportunity, the opportunity to be a to be a saint, to be a family, to be a church that is found faithful. That is flourishing. That the fullness of Christ is increasing. His favor is increasing. 
the sin is de- decreasing in our life. I mean, all the things that we know, our love for Christ, our life for Christ, fullness in Christ is, means, represents. We, like that's, that's a real option. It's, it's a real option. And like Nick was saying when he was sharing that word, you know, sometimes we think, um, sometimes we think this, well, that's not for us. Like, yes, it's okay, it came from your word, but it's not for us. That's baloney. It's for us. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and there are benefits to that. There are benefits to that. Some of us have believed the lie so long that we're not going to be worth anything, we're not going to accomplish anything great, that God could never forgive that sin, or that you know this shame has to stay here because it was really bad what I did, and we have condemnation, we have guilt. None of those things are from God. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction leads us to repentance, which makes us right with God. That's what he's after. But the condemnation, the confusion, all those things, that's not from the Lord. And we have to kind of, you know, as James says, we have to stand firm. We have to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, which is saying, humble yourself before the Lord. Stand firm. Resist the devil. Resist the fox. And he'll flee. That's what Scripture says. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. That resist the devil isn't like fighting like a girl. And I don't mean that offensively. Like, oh no, devil. I don't mean that. No, get back. That is not standing firm. That's not what that means. Resist the devil. Oh, Stand firm, resist the devil literally means plant your feet, square up, bow up. You guys encouraged? And say, I don't think so. Awesome. All right. That's well, what it means. Next week. We got some new stuff going. You can't do that. You can't have that authority unless first you, you submit yourself you therefore to God. For the outreach, so sure submit yourself for therefore to God. And um, have a great week. Stand firm. Resist the schemes of the devil. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for grace and for favor.